We're moving right through. We have a few more weeks here in this particular series that we're calling Counterculture Living. Living God's way in a godless society. How many of you would agree with me that we are living in a godless society? I don't care whether you turn on the news, if you still read the newspaper, just step out your door and you realize that there is wickedness abounding around us. And it becomes, in our mind, often very difficult in trying to take the truths of Scripture and actually flesh those out in everyday living. But God desires for us to be true to Him and not be true to this world. God desires for us that we shine as lights, that we be the salt of the earth, and you have an opportunity to point people to Jesus verbally. You can share the good news of Christ, but also by your life, there's something said about you. You realize the fact that this morning you got up and left your house to go to church, that said something to your neighbors? Do you realize how you conduct your life at work, the people you associate with, it says a lot about you and it says a lot about the God that you say you serve. And boy, how amazing it is that this sermon that Jesus gave, how powerful really it is. Because it shows us how to live godly in this godless society. Well, let's look here if we could. I want to look at the first six verses of Matthew chapter number 7. I've given you a few minutes to get there. Are you there yet? All right, good, wonderful. All right, verse number 1. Let's look at this. The Bible says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote? That is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. I want you to notice in verse number 3 where he talks about the moat, the beam. Verse number 6 where he talks about dogs and swine. I suppose if I wanted to be cute, I could title this sermon, Dogs and Logs, Pigs and Twigs, but I decided against that title. And today we're going to have a very pointed title that will bring us through the thought of this message, and it's How to Handle Sin in the Life of Others. How to Handle Sin in the Life of Other People. So let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you. For the fact that you've allowed us to come together and to worship you, thank you for these beautiful songs that we sang together, the special that was given, the choir. And Lord, we look forward to some of the fellowship afterwards. But right now you have ordained for this time where we hear from the Word of God. We're not here necessarily listening to a preacher, though a preacher's words 
preacher visibly will be standing here at this sacred desk. But Lord, we want your word to come forth. Please speak to the hearts of people. Do what I cannot do. I can speak my words to penetrate the ears, but only you can penetrate the heart. I ask that you'd touch us, convict us, and thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. We're working through this Sermon on the Mount that is preached by Jesus, and now we come to this very interesting passage of Scripture about the matter of judging. It almost seems like when we read this passage of Scripture that Jesus is actually changing a total direction in His sermon. But I think it's very important for all of us to remember that this well-known passage that we just read lives within a greater context of Scripture. Throughout the sermon, Jesus has been warning His disciples about the false teaching and the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. In other words, as He began to point out the Pharisees and their faults, He showed how they minimized the demands of the law when it came to areas like lust, divorce, how we treat other people, the oaths that we perform. Their spiritual disciplines such as prayer and fasting and giving of money to those who are poor weren't done for the glory of God, but were done for the glory of those Pharisees. And so when we consider our text here today, it's very clear that Christ's command to not judge is yet another challenge for those disciples and us today to not be like the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. You see, the religious leaders of Jesus' time desired to magnify themselves above everybody else by condemning and judging other people, and in doing so, it lifted them up. You know, a wonderful case in point is found in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus gave a parable about a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders, and a publican or a tax collector. How amazing as this Pharisee is looking over the tax collector. He's looking at his dress. He's looking at maybe his conduct of life. And he begins to make an assessment. And he prays his prayer before God. He says, God, I thank thee. Now, those words are good to start off. But he says, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And he points to the publican. And then he says here in his prayer, as he lifts himself up, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You see, this religious leader was criticizing and condemning this other man and in such a way building himself up. And so this context of Scripture that we come to on the matter of judging is very interesting and it is not out of place in the sermon that Jesus preached. But how amazing when we come to verse number 1 where the Bible says, Judge not. Do you realize that people in this world may not know John 3.16, but they know Matthew 7.1. And boy, they'll come to you and say, Oh, don't talk to me about anything. The Bible says, Judge not. 
Well, this happens to be, this verse, in my personal estimation, the most misunderstood and the most misapplied verse in all the Bible. You see, the drive in this passage of Scripture that we read today, the focus for us as believers within the context of the local church is how do we react with other Christians regarding sin in their life? In other words, how should you as a believer, confront other believers who have sin in their life. This is an area, sadly, that most Christians often neglect because of the potential for conflict. And whoa, people don't like conflict of any kind at all. But the Bible, and especially this passage we read here today, is very clear about two important overarching themes or ideas. First of all, I hope you'll get at the end of this sermon that when Christians consider the effect and the damage of sin, I hope that they will humbly and graciously call on other Christians to get right with God. But the second overarching theme that I hope, again, that you'll get by the end of this sermon, and that is of equal importance, that Christians should be reminded of this, that prior to taking care of sin in someone else's life, I need to look in the mirror, and I need to address myself. So with these thoughts in mind, let's open up these six verses and give you four considerations in the matter of this command Jesus gave. First of all, in verse number 1, notice the command He gave. It is these simple words, not to judge others. It's a very strong warning that Jesus gave. Now, as was said earlier already, it is amazing how many people literally know this verse, but while they may quote it on the surface, they really don't understand the context of this verse and what the matter of judging is. Let's ask this question, first of all, what does it mean to judge? Well, the word judge has this context. It means to decide, to distinguish between two matters in order to come to a decision. We know this word very well in the public realm where we come to a court of law whereby we have a judge and a jury that will hear a particular matter and make a decision based on the evidence. But this word is not just used publicly, it is used privately in our lives as believers or simply as individuals. You and I may make simple matters, we may judge simple things such as, what pair of clothes was I going to wear today? Ladies, what shoes were you going to put with that outfit? I mean, there was a lot of judging going on today as far as the outfit and the shoes that you were going to put on. But we make decisions every day about what we'll wear, where we'll go, how we'll spend our money. We may decide if a business person or a salesperson comes to us and offers a particular product or a service for our home, we will make a judgment as to, can I trust this person? Are they telling me the truth? Do I want this person to come into my home? And yet in the Christian life, we judge or make decisions for ourselves and others on how the Christian life should be lived out. So the word judging is very simple. It is to make a decision based on the facts and weighing out a certain conclusion. 
Now, when we read Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, judge not, we know already that that on the surface, we think to ourselves, now hold on just a second. Jesus is not saying to just not judge at all. There's a context given here. Because really, throughout the Scriptures, we are told to make decisions or to judge certain things. For instance, if you would look at verse number 5, notice what he says, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. So in verse number 5, we see you've got to make a judgment of, I've got something in my eye, and you've got to make a judgment that you can help out another believer. If you were to look later on at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, we're to decide or to make a judgment on who the false prophets are. What does Jesus say? Look further on. Verse 15, beware of false prophets. Now hold on just a second. How do I know who the false prophets are? i got to make a judgment. i got to make a decision in regards to who those are. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, when I am commanded to settle things with a brother who has offended me, I need to make a judgment call that sin has occurred. First Corinthians chapter 5, did not Paul, in writing to the Corinthian believers and share with them about the man who was living in sin, he said, I am making a judgment call. I am not there in body. I have not seen this person, but from the evidence that you have shared with me, I can say Categorically, this man is living in sin. He's made a judgment call, decision. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul tells the believers there to have no fellowship with the unfruitful workers of darkness, but rather reprove them. Well, I've got to make a decision. What are the unfruitful works of darkness? But lastly, let me give you this. If you say, well, preacher, we're not to judge. John 7, 24, Jesus said, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgments. You know, sadly, there's a lot of people who say, Oh, no, no, no. You can't call sin, sin. You can't make comments on moral behavior. You can't judge someone else's actions as wrong. May I say to you that if you and I cannot judge that which is wrong, then equally on the other side, neither can we judge that which is right. You see, the Bible, when it talks about judging, we're going to see in this context there is a proper way in which to judge, but we are given an opportunity and we are shown in our life of making judgment calls of sin and false preachers and so on and so forth. And I have a holy Bible of which I'm judging these things according to. I'm not judging people's motives. I'm not judging people because I don't like them. I'm not judging people just because I just want to go ahead and judge people. But no, I see the actions. I hear the words and I take that and I compare that with the Holy Scripture. And when things don't line up with Scripture, then it's wrong. And it's important to look at that in that light. So again, this is not a prohibition necessarily against making any judgment at all. So if it's not that, then what is Jesus saying here to judge not? Well, look at point number two, the consideration. Look what Jesus says, judge not. Notice now the rest of verse one, that ye be not judged. 
And then he tells us in verse number 2 that there's something that is done here in regards or in relationship to your judgment. In other words, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So if you and I make a decision or a judgment on sin or some moral behavior in the life of another believer, then there's some things that you and I must consider in our lives. And it is this, that God will judge you and I in the same light in which we judge others. I know that as I'm talking to a group of people, all of us have made judgment calls on people. How many know that person that likes to sit at the mall and just comment about everybody that's walking through the mall? Oh, look at that dress on that person. Yeah, that hair color doesn't look right on that person. But we can talk about people judging at the mall, but I'm going to just tell you, every Sunday and Wednesdays, sadly across the United States, there are people judging in churches. There are people making comments about folks who have come in. And I want to tell you something here today, according to this passage of Scripture, that if you are harsh and overbearing towards others in just how you see people in the service, I'm going to tell you something. God will judge you in that vein. If you're loving and merciful to others and have a generous spirit in how you help other people out, then I'm going to tell you something. God will show you mercy. God will treat you as you have treated others. I want to tell you, Jesus has already taught this principle. This is nothing new. What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7? Blessed are the merciful. Can you finish the rest of it? For they shall obtain mercy. Well, we saw that already several weeks ago. And then in the disciples' prayer, that model prayer that Jesus gave, what were the words he said? Forgive us our debts. How? Just like as we forgive our debtors. Pretty amazing. In other words, in in this sermon, what Jesus is saying is, you may expect to receive judgment on the same basis as you give it. God will measure unto you according to the same measure that we use for others. As far as I'm concerned, this is a very, this consideration is a very powerful motivation for us That when we consider helping others, and again, please understand, I'm not saying that we don't go help others who are living in sin and call things out and share things in people's lives, but be very careful on your attitude. Be very careful on your approach. That you come to people with love, forgiveness, and goodness in your heart because God, again, will reward in the same vein. It's often been said that there were some teachings by the rabbis that God had two measures that he used to judge people. One was a measure of justice and the other was a measure of mercy. Whichever measure you want God to use with you, you should use the same measure with others. So let's just picture on one hand, here's our measuring cup, if I can put it that way, of justice. And we just want to get even with people. We just want to cut people down. But then here is our measuring cup of mercy. 
Well, go ahead and heap in this uh, measuring cup of justice and, and you want to go ahead and just tear somebody down because you can't believe that they did that and how dare they miss this and how dare they fall short in this area. How dare they uh, take the name of Christ through the mud and you begin to tear that person apart. But then there's a cup of mercy. Not that you wouldn't share the truth, not that you wouldn't help people see the error in their life, but it comes with a sorrowful spirit. It comes with a gracious attitude, a merciful and humble spirit in how you approach people. Sadly. So we see that the command is given along with a strong consideration. But now notice the example that he lays out to those who take these consideration. Point number three, the case. Look at verses three to five. Now, in a very humorous but very wise way, Jesus illustrates what happens. Before I illustrate it, would you notice here a couple of little words that are used in verses 3 to 5. Notice the words, thine own. Look at the end of verse number 3. Thine own I. Look at the end of verse number 4. Thine own I. I, the phrase above it, thine eye. And then verse number five, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. You know what Jesus is doing here? He's turning the tables. Jesus is sliding the mirror in front of you and says, oh, you, you, you've noticed everything else about everybody else, but let me show you about you. These verses, in such a humorous way, show to us that we are so good at judging others and fall so short at judging ourselves. Somebody once said, and I quote, We are good judges for the mistakes of others, but good defense lawyers for our own mistakes. I like that. Very true. But I want to tell you something, as Jesus lays out this wise reasoning, as he says to, to us here, and, and, and catch the humor in this, Jesus is saying, you're looking at this little speck, in fact, you can't even see the speck till you get right down and go, oh, there it is, there it is, I, I see it, and yet you're walking down there and you got this beam in your eye. And you can barely see. I wish I had a beam up here that I could put and show you how it blocks my vision. But yet, I, I think I can clearly see what's in this person's eye, the problem that they have. Jesus is saying, you're commenting about something small in their life, and yet you have something large and looming in your own life. And I really believe that in these verses here, verses 3 to 5, Jesus lays out very wise reasoning as to why we should not judge in this manner. Again, not saying to not judge, but to not judge in this manner. First of all, notice according to verse number 3, you and I know our sins better than anybody else. Let me ask you a question. You don't need to raise your hand, but would you answer this honestly? Do you know yourself? And your sin, and your life, and how you've fallen short before God? Well, that's what Jesus is asking you to consider. The word beam in this verse is, refers to a large piece of wood. It could be a beam in a house, or maybe a large sailing mast, or a battering ram. 
and this beam that is in your eye there is blocking your vision. And before you help anybody else, you better take care of that before you go to the little splinter in somebody else's eye. And I think the reason you and I know our sins so much better is because we know our long history. We know our sinful words and actions. We know the thoughts that has carried us down to these evil things. And quite amazing it is in the life of so many people, we tend to magnify the faults of others and minimize our own faults. Jesus says, you better judge yourself because you know yourself better. But now notice verse number four. Why is it that we should judge ourselves first? Because it's hypocritical to care for another person's sins more than our own. It's amazing how all of a sudden people become very caring for other people. Oh, I I, I want to point this out to you. I want to show you what you've done wrong. I want to show you. And it seems like all of a sudden we have this caring mindset. But sadly, in 30 years of ministry, as I've watched many believers do this, they're no different than the Pharisees and the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They are people who will go ahead and magnify your sin and minimize theirs. And by magnifying your sin, you know what they're doing? They're making themselves to be better than you. But Jesus really brings it out in verse number 4 that it's very hypocritical to do that. The real reason we put other people down is because we try to lift ourselves up. Jonathan Edwards, a great preacher of a few hundred years ago, wrote these words, Proud people tend to speak of others' sins. Let me say, if you're truly concerned about seeing God's holiness abound and sin take care of, then you're going to be more concerned about your sins than anybody else's. But notice verse number 5. Again, he begins his words with thou hypocrite. The reason you ought to take care of the sin in your life and judge yourself is because you cannot help anybody else till you first addressed your need. Imagine if you were going in for eye surgery and the doctor said to you, I'm sorry, but my vision is blurred today, but I'm going to attempt to do this surgery on you. How many of you would get out of that chair and say, Doc, I'll come back another day or I'll find another doctor? It's foolish. Foolish for us to say to ourselves, well, I'm just going to go ahead and trust that person. Let me just tell you, that's as foolish it is for us as Christians to go ahead and continually point out the sins of other people and yet not look at ourselves. Jesus, like I said, is turning the tables here. This doesn't mean that uh, in order to deal with somebody else's sins, you've got to be perfect. Because starting with the preacher here at this sacred desk, all the way through this auditorium, not one person here is perfect. But it is a matter that we take care of things ourselves. So God gives us a command to not judge until we consider ourselves. But then I want you to notice this last point, verse number 6, this last verse here. And I want you to look at the caution. Let me read this verse again. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn again and render you. 
Now, I don't know about you, but for the longest time, when I would read through Matthew 7, I would get to verse 6 and I would think, I don't even know why this verse is in here. To me, it just didn't even seem to make sense. It didn't even seem to to jive with the rest of Scripture. But I want to review again where we've come to up to this point. In the first five verses of chapter 7, Jesus prohibited Christians from judging other Christians unto condemnation until they first dealt with themselves. They needed to evaluate their lives. They needed to judge themselves. And when they did approach somebody, they had to do it with a humble attitude. But there are times when you have realized that, all right, I'm not God and and, and I'm not going to judge as God because I can't judge people's motives and I don't know what they're doing, but I'm dealing with sin in my life and yet God's still impressing me to deal with somebody and then I deal with them. And have you ever had somebody that just stiff arms you? Rejects whatever counsel you give? Denies what you're saying? Bad mouths you because you have come? And you've tried to come in a right manner and deal with something? I want to tell you that there are people and times when counsel or reproof may better not be given. And that's due to the fact that there are people who will refuse to be helped. They don't want to hear what God has to say about their life. They don't want to know about their sin, and so they reject it. And you know what Jesus is calling these people? Dogs and pigs. Now, it's natural for us to understand pigs in the Jewish context because pigs were unclean animals. The Jews had nothing to do with swine. They they were forbidden to eat pork of any kind. It was only the Gentiles that raised the pigs. But now you say, preacher, a dog is a man's best friend. I can't believe you're talking about a dog here. Well, let me just tell you, we're in America today. A dog is a man's best friend. I want to tell you, in these days, the dogs were scavengers around towns. Around the various cities, they would eat the decaying flesh of carcasses in the wild. And truthfully, when you think about what Jesus is saying here, when he's talking about taking that which is holy, in other words, that meat and those things that were dedicated to the temple, the dog has no care about any of that. He's just going to scarf it up because he just wants to eat something. And yet then he gives an illustration. Imagine now if we threw some beautiful pearls right in the pig pen. The pig doesn't care about that. The pig just wants some food to go ahead and eat. And what Jesus is giving in this illustration of these dogs and these pigs is this aspect that many times you may come in the right spirit to actually uh, help someone else in their sin and they reject you. What do you do in those times that people reject you? What do you do when people say no and don't want to consider anything? They maybe reject the gospel. Maybe they're born again and they reject your counsel about things. Well, I want you to consider what Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out to minister. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Can you imagine when the disciples are going out knocking on doors? 
person rejects them, slams the door in their face, gets to the next door, knocks on another door. Again, a person yells at them and says, I don't want nothing to do with you. Jesus says, as you walk out of that city, you go ahead and stomp the dust off your feet because you have been called worthy to share the gospel. And therefore, these people are going to stand before God knowing someday that they've rejected the counsel that was given to them. In fact, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18 Talks about when there was a big stir here. Paul says here, as he's preaching to the, Gen- to the Jewish people, and in every city, Paul would go to the Jewish people. But in this particular time, they rejected him, and they stirred up the whole city. And Paul says, I'll tell you what, I am now done, and now I'm moving to the Gentiles. You know why? Because whether you're a preacher, whether you're just an average church member trying to help somebody in the church... You cannot allow your pearls to fall before swine. You need to go to those who desire to be helped, who want to know the truth, who want to follow Jesus, and not those who are going to outright reject. Jesus is instructing us to discern about those who are going to reject the gospel outright and to not declare it to them when it is continually discredited and slandered. But go to those who are receptive. Go to those who are searching and seeking and are hungry for the things of God. As I conclude today, I want you to know that according to these verses, it's a misrepresentation of Jesus' teaching to say that Christians should not judge. Just not true. It is important that we judge but it has to be done in the right manner, in the right way. You and I as believers today, if God has placed somebody in your heart, you ought not to sit in that seat of judgment as if you were God and without sin. First, remember that you're not God and that you don't know all the details. I've learned a long time ago as a pastor That as I get to deal with people and I talk to people about certain things, I pray long and hard, first of all looking at myself, but I pray long and hard because I realize that what I may see of an action, I may not understand all the things that are going on around that person. Not that all the things around that person will justify the action of sinful behavior, but how important it is to understand a person when you begin walking in their shoes. And sometimes people go through some very difficult, horrendous things. In just the last couple of weeks, there's been some people that I have met with personally. And I've come to realize that there are a lot of things that I didn't even know or didn't even realize. And if I did realize, it might help me have a little bit more mercy and tenderness towards them. Jesus is really telling us that if you're going to judge, first of all, you're not God. You don't know the inner workings. And therefore, before you go to them, you better search your own heart. You better judge yourself. You better discern your life, evaluate your life, and go then to that person with that humility and mercy. Could I give you just a couple of lessons that we could learn here today in closing? Lessons that we can learn from these six verses. Number one, be concerned about sin, 
but especially the sin that's in your own life. Be concerned about sin, but especially the sin in your own life. Just because there's a lot of precautions given doesn't mean that I can't go to anybody and talk to them and try to help them. I need to do it in the right way. A.W. Pink, who wrote a number of commentaries, I don't agree with everything he has ever written. He actually put it this way. He said, if I really have my brother's welfare at heart, then love itself requires that I wink not at his sins, but rather endeavor to save him from them just as much as it would demand me warning him when I perceive the first wisp of smoke issuing from one of his windows. Why wait till his house is half burned down before giving the alarm? How important it is to go. But as I do it, it's going to be done in the right spirit and in the right way. And when I go, I need to make sure I deal with myself. Number two lesson that I can learn is this. Be aggressive in sharing the gospel, but remember there are those who will refuse to listen. How many of you here today, without raising your hand, you have somebody that you've tried to share the gospel with, and boy, you've pleaded with them, and they have just outright rejected you. You know what that does to most Christians? I ain't giving the gospel anymore. I tried. God laid on my heart this person, and boy, they sure hurt me. They rejected. I want to tell you something. They didn't really reject you. They rejected Jesus. You still have the same old command. You have still the great commission to go out there and to share with people the good news of Jesus Christ. It may be so-called bad news to that person who rejected you, but I'm telling you there's a whole group of people out here that when they hear it for the time, it'll be good news for them. So be aggressive in sharing the gospel. Lesson number three, don't get discouraged or lose heart over those that are antagonistic to the gospel. I love the Proverbs writers. Proverbs 23, 9, Speak not in the ears of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of thy words. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. So don't get discouraged. In this life, when we deal with things, we will have rejection, even in church. We'll have so-called brothers that will put us aside. But doesn't mean that as God lays on your heart to help another brother or sister, that as you first consider yourself, you go to them in the spirit of humility and meekness, And you help guide them because all of us want to have our lives. And here together as a church family, we want Calvary Baptist to be a place that is honoring to God. May the Lord help us in this matter. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for this message. Thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord, that you brought us here to. Guide us, Lord, in this time that we call our invitation as we invite people to make decisions. I pray that truly we would heed those things that you're telling us about. While heads are bowed and 
eyes are closed here today. I've mainly been talking to born-again Christians, but maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I hope I go to heaven when I die. Let me tell you, when it comes to the matter of salvation, the word hope is a word you don't want to use. Because what God's given us in His Word is a no-so salvation, K-N-O-W. John wrote these words. He said, These things have I written unto you that ye might know that ye have eternal life. So if you're here today, and maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe you're just fairly new, and there's never been a time when you've asked the Lord to be your Savior, or you're sitting here in doubt about where you'll spend forever, could I encourage you today to just pray to the Lord and ask Him to be your Savior? Right now in your seat, you could acknowledge to God that you're a sinner. That your sin will keep you out of heaven. It will take you to a place called the lake of fire. That there's nothing you can do to overcome any of that. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough money to the church. But Jesus died for you in your place. He paid your sin debt. And all that leaves for you is to call out to Jesus and ask Him to come in your heart and be your Savior. If you'd like to pray a prayer like that, I'd like to just lead you. And again, please understand, there's no magic in any of these words. This has to be something that you say from your own lips, but you believe with your heart. I'm going to pray out loud this prayer, and maybe you might pray it to yourself after me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I cannot save myself. But I believe that Jesus died for me. And he paid my sin debt. And right now, I'm asking Jesus Christ, God's holy Son, to forgive me of all my sins and become my personal Savior. Now, if you prayed that prayer right now, and while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I'm the only one looking, I'd like to just rejoice with you. I won't call you out. But I'm telling you, one of the greatest decisions you'll ever make is the decision to receive Christ as Savior. How many would say here today, Preacher, I just prayed that prayer, and I'm not ashamed of it. Would you just lift your hand right now? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else here today? Who here today says, Preacher, I prayed that prayer? If you're here today, whether you raise your hand or not, there's a wonderful verse in the Bible, the book of Matthew. I believe it's in chapter number 10. Jesus said, that if you'll not be ashamed of Him, in other words, you'll let other people know that you've trusted Christ as Savior, then someday at the very end, as He stands before the Father with you, He'll not be ashamed of you. But if you are ashamed of Him and will not confess Him, then Jesus said, I'll not confess you. There's something about being a born-again Christian. It's not private. It's public. Jesus died publicly on the cross. He hung there naked. Had everybody pass by, wag their head, see Jesus there on the cross. But He did it so you and I could have salvation. And therefore, the salvation that God has given to you is a salvation that needs to be proclaimed and let people know. So I'd like to encourage you today, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to step right to the front when we have our invitation, when the music begins to play. I want you to come right to me. And I want to encourage you to just make it known here today. Christians, could I talk for you with you for just a minute? 
Is God dealing with you about your life? Is there something in your life that you need to deal with? Oh, then I want to encourage you. Come to the front to this altar, if you will. Get before God. Get honest before Him. Humble yourself before Him. Deal with those things that need to be dealt with. But my friend, I want to encourage you that maybe God's laid on your heart somebody who's in sin. And you know you need to approach Him, but you've got to do it in the right way and in the right spirit and in the right time. And maybe you might come and just pray. Just ask the Lord for guidance on how to go through this.